You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Uh, Andre, um, last time we spoke, or previous time we spoke, I misidentified a podcast. That's okay. And now I'm going to properly identify a podcast, if I'm not mistaken, because you hold the key to the topics. I do. And uh, I just, you always say, okay, let's talk about something. And unless I know the topic, um, I don't know the topic. That's right. <laughs> so, we, that's, that's sort of like, we're going to cover that into another, in an, another podcast very soon about how we talk about what we talk about. But um, we're talking about Saguenay today. Saguenay, yeah. So that was the one where uh, we, were, we uh, were out in the rain and walking around like drowned rats, like many people did on November 1st. Yep. Um, and it's kind of funny because we, we did a hike in the rain, which we alluded to in the last podcast, which was sort of funny because... Uh, we were not able to do the zip lining. Correct. Because we're too big. Yeah, that's, that's what they said. And we were told that the hike would be like light activity, but yep. we ended up having to do some pretty serious climbing and like going over fallen trees and like this was not this was not a walk around the lake shore. This was a legit hike. This was a le- yeah. And the interesting part is I I did pack hiking shoes with, and I ended up two inches taller when we finished with all the mud that I had accumulated on the shoes. Yep. But anyways, um. This was our second year going to the Festival de Vain, the yes. second day. What a, what a great festival it is. Well, and that's the thing is, um, before I hit record, I was just kind of, like, I've been thinking about this festival a lot. And, like, there's a part of me that's just, like, I would really love to see an event like this in Toronto. Never going to happen. And, and, I mean, the thing is, we have great festivals in Toronto, Taste of the Danforth, you know, the, the Good Food Show, things like that. But they are, every festival in the city is just so rammed with people that it's really uncomfortable, and unless standing in some sort of line is your bag, I'm not a fan of really going to any festival in Toronto. I love going down to Niagara for the events down there. I love, uh, you know, taste the season, wrapped up in the valley, get fresh in the valley. Um, of course, I foresee Christmas in July, as AndreWineReview.ca recently wrote about. No oh boy. Uh, but, but, I mean, the thing about these events is it's not long lineups. It's not shoulder to shoulder with people. It's a healthy crowd. You feel like you're at an event that's worth going to. And that's really what goes on in Saguenay. So um, this year I've come to the realization that an event like this can't exist in Toronto. So we need to go to Saguenay to experience it. And maybe we should bring people down. Maybe that's the hill key. Maybe we should get a bus together and have people come down with us to experience it. I'm game. I mean, the thing is we're, we're in rural rural Quebec so the cost of admission isn't very steep um, you have the main street of a beautiful quaint French town that is all the way up and down filled with wine agents literally pouring wines from around the world and we're right you're right on a, on the water too yep it's it's just and if you're worried about the language barrier or anything to do with that the people there are so incredibly accommodating and friendly and it's it, amazing that when Andre gets a few drinks in him, he suddenly is fluent in French. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, the, on during our visit uh, there, I learned about. I'm, I'm sitting. We're sitting at the bar in one of the restaurants. I can't remember the name of the restaurant. I'm sorry. And we see all these older French gentlemen ordering cheap beer, yep. cheap lagers, and pouring a dash of salt in them. Oh yeah, I remember that. And I'd, I'd ask him, like, what's going on with putting salt in the beer? And uh, the guy beside me in French just told me his life story and explained that the salt in the beer helps keep the beer fizzy. So I put a dash of salt in my beer, and I came to the conclusion that it did not do anything. It didn't do anything, but it 
did make your beer salty. Yeah, a little which, bit. Which makes you thirstier, which makes you order another beer. Yeah. So obviously it's a bartender's trick. Uh, but the the great thing about the Festival of the Venice beyond the locals and the ambiance and the cost of getting there, is the people that they actually have at the festival. And this year, you and I were both crazy excited to go because the... Um, the main speakers, the the host, the host, the host of the region event. of the event was Beaujolais, and we found some great Beaujolais. The SAQ does sell a lot of good Beaujolais. That well, my, my favorite, my my man is uh, Dominique Piron, and he was and well, he wasn't there, but his wine was there. That uh, I still have a video of you holding up a bottle of. I'm drinking Chirubles. Yeah, Okay, are we gonna let that one die ever? No, I want to show that one again. <laughs> but that was uh, that was a great little video, and uh, I got to try his Chiruble. Yep. And um, I think you and I both walked away between your two visits to Quebec. Like we picked up a case of that easy. Oh yeah, that's just that's just a great bottle of wine. And actually, I'm going to do a video on it. So. Uh, and I am going to be uh, visiting his winery in early January, and hopefully coming back with some large format bottles. So we'll see what comes back oh, with us. Great. But. Uh, so anyway, so what we ended up doing was yeah, because we didn't have, here. <laughs> because we didn't actually have anybody um, from a winery in Beaujolais. We ended up speaking to a gentleman who uh, was representing Beaujolais and a fellow writer uh, who actually lived in Beaujolais, who happened to be she there. She still does. She uh, Pauline Gonet. She's yeah. a sommelier. Uh, she lives in Lyon. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to see about trying to connect with her when I'm over there as well too. But she is. Um, Shameless in her promotion and love of the Beaujolais region, and I have a list of places to visit from her as well. So let's get to that interview. Uh, right. Andre, I cannot tell you how thrilled and excited I am to have our next two guests here at, what is it? The Festival des Vins de Saguenay. I need you to always say it, because you just do it better than I do. Because yeah. I always just say the Saguenay Wine Festival. And... Um, this is a region that both of us are very fond of. And I'm quickly going to have you, I'm going to cover this up. Michael, how many times have you been to Beaujolais? I have not been to Beaujolais yet, <laughs> but I drink a lot of Gamay, and I drink a lot of Beaujolais. It's same. Our guests are Pauline and Jan. Jan is Hi. from? From France. From close to Paris, but uh, I, uh, I'm living in Montreal um, uh, since uh, 2012. What do you do that relates to Beaujolais? Um, I'm sommelier of my life, and uh, for the festival of uh, Saguenay Festival, I represent uh, the Beaujolais region for speak about Beaujolais, about wine, about region, about terroir, about philosophy. Perfect. And then we have Pauline. Pauline. Tell us what you do in relation to Beaujolais. Uh, actually, I, I live in Lyon, in France, so it's 30 kilometers south to, from the Beaujolais. And I'm also a journalist, and I'm a specialist of the Beaujolais for a French magazine. I love So, Michael, Lyon is one of the best cities in France. How many times have you been to Lyon? You see, you're not going to make me feel guilty, Andre, because I like drinking Beaujolais, and that does not stop me from doing it. So, really quickly... We're going to listen to Andre tell us all of the Grand Cru of Beaujolais. Let's see if he can do it without looking at the list. So there's uh, Bruyé, Côte de Bruyé, Morgan, Saint-Amour, Régnier, 
Shirubler, Shayna. Uh, I remember more this afternoon. I'm missing three. Juliana, Moulin Avant, and the Dizième. Fleury, you Fleury? Fleury. Fleury. Uh, I always forget Fleury. I don't know how he can forget Fleury. But we, 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 have one. we have one in front of us from Chiruble, which is one we don't see very often in Ontario, from a producer that we've talked about on this podcast before because I freaking love him, love them, Dominique Piron. Dominique Piron, yeah. Uh, one of the best value producers on the planet. Um, they're available through Lifford, through consignment at, uh, in Ontario. So if you want to buy it, you have to buy a case, but it's well worth it. Michael, you're going to be buying a few bottles when we order a case in the next month or so. So we've talked enough. We would like <laughs> you two to tell us a little bit about Beaujolais wines. What makes Beaujolais such a great region for wine? <clears throat> For me, it's a great region because absolutely, it's absolutely beautiful. The other name of uh, Beaujolais is uh, Little Tuscany because uh, the, the Beaujolais region looks like the um, Tuscany region. And also because with only one uh, red grapes variety, you have a lot of different profile of wine. It's amazing because it's a terroir, the really the terroir. And I like Beaujolais too, cause, um, uh, cause is a wine fresh, is a wine friendly. So friendly, it's very important with the Beaujolais, and uh, share with a friend and a good and a good food, simple food, simple moment. You open the bottle, you drink the bottle, and you finish the bottle, and it's for that I like Beaujolais. So. I know you were not here on the Thursday night, Andre, but I met Jan on the Thursday night over a glass of Beaujolais, and he is right. We became very quickly friends because <laughs> it was the wine that we, we came together about. It was so good. All right, that's it. <laughs> I, I don't know what to, what to add to that. <laughs> um, I guess maybe one question. It's the only serious question that we'll ask, but I know when a lot of people think about Beaujolais, they think about Beaujolais Nouveau, and that's not really what great Beaujolais is about. And Beaujolais Nouveau is important, and it's tasty, and it's exactly that wine. You open the bottle, you finish the bottle, but it's not serious. Do you think that people are starting to change their mind about Beaujolais so that it's maybe not as serious as Burgundy or Côte du Rhône, which is also close to Lyon, but it's being a little bit more respected. Do you think people are changing their minds about Beaujolais? Yes. I, I think, yes, the, the new generation of uh, people and the new generation of Beaujolais, the Beaujolais changed, changed uh, since maybe 15 uh, years. Uh, changed for the, um, for the quality, for the reconnaissance of small terroir and a lot, a lot of the new young winemaker um, produce the different wine. And the, today, for me, the Beaujolais is different. Um, also, the Beaujolais Nouveau is different. The quality is different. Uh, I'm sure if the if the people buy the bottle of Beaujolais Nouveau now, um, 
should be the very nice surprise for the quality of Beaujolais Nouveau. Also, and also the, the Beaujolais, like the 10 Cru du Beaujolais. And it's for that. For that, the Beaujolais is different because the, the quality, the winemaker is different also, I think. Now, Pauline, you come from Lyon. What does Beaujolais mean to the people of Lyon? What's the perception of the region for the people who live in the city? Uh, there are two kinds of perceptions of Beaujolais in Lyon. There are the new generation and some other people who likes wine, uh, who tells you that Beaujolais is such a great region. Uh, the grape variety of Gamay is wonderful. It can produce so many different type, type of wines. And uh, just to answer the first question of Michael, uh, one of the great quality of Beaujolais is the diversity of its soils. Because in the same appellation, you can have, I don't know, like... 20 or, or 40, even 40 different types, uh, type of soils. So it's really rich and it can produce a lot of different Beaujolais, even in the, in the cruise. And uh, let me tell you about a story that um, about the price and the quality of Beaujolais 100 years before today. Uh, at the beginning of the century, a moulin avant was uh, sold more expensive than a Gevray Chambertin. And it has completely changed, but 100 years earlier, Beaujolais was more expensive than all the Burgundy. So it means that people already knew that it was a great region and the wine were with a big, big quality. Pauline, as a, as a journalist, yeah. what is your draw? What, what drew you to want to write and live in the near the region of Beaujolais and want to write about this wine? Uh, it was like a challenge to write about Beaujolais because um, in Lyon and everywhere else in France, and especially in the Rhône-Alpes region, everybody is fond of Côte-du-Rhône, uh, of Côte-Rôti, of Saint-Joseph, Crozier-Hermitage, and those appellations are already, you know, they are like stars in the sky of wine, so it's easy, it's already done, you don't have any challenge. And uh, Beaujolais has suffered of the Beaujolais Nouveau for, for a little time. And it has to um, reconquer uh, its value and its potential. So it's like a challenge to promote a region that, that deserves to be promoted and for its wine and the quality of its wine. And it's not, um, it's not as known as, it's, as it should be. So I wanted to participate to that. So talk to us about the wine that we are drinking now, uh, either Jan or Pauline. It is the Dominique Perrand. It is the Chirouble. Chirouble? Chirouble. There yeah. you go. So tell us a little bit about Chirouble. It's Demille Tez, 2015. 2015, Dominique Perrand, Chirouble. Tell us a little bit about the wine and the region or the crew of Chirouble. So... <laughs> Um, Chirub, for me, this appellation, um, the particularity of this appellation, and, uh, and, and I like this appellation because um, this is the, the, the cru with a, a lot of um, elegance, wine, and um, velouté. How do you say velouté? Velouté, like soyeux, like the tannin, very elegant, very okay, smooth. Uh, smooth. Easy. Absolutely, and and the acidity for me, Chirub is a nice, is a very balanced acidity, and 
a little bit high, and I like for that. The fruity is fruity, but not too much, and it's balanced for me. And Dominique Perron is very nice winemaker. A lot of uh, writer uh, knows knows this um, knows this um, winemaker, and um, it's easy drinking, but. Uh, um, little bit complexity also. And I think for me. If you ever get a chance to visit the estate, he has all of his wines in big bottles, and it is not a lot of money to get a magnum or a double magnum of his wines. Oh, I want you to know that for Andre, size matters. <laughs> just, I'm just letting you know. Now, one of my favorite regions in Beaujolais is Morgon. Why do I like Morgon? <laughs> you ask us the question. Okay. I don't know. What, what, okay. So just... I know that's a, that's a loaded question. Because it's not my favorite, so maybe... Well, I do like Morgon because it does have a little complexity yeah. as well. There's a little bit of more spiciness to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's one here, uh, Chateau Pizé, mm -hmm. uh, that has a, has a real smoothness, a real fruitiness to it that I really liked. And I seem to also gravitate to wines of Morgon. So again, what makes Morgon special? And why is it a crew? Well, but first, if you ever get a chance to visit Pizé, the estate is just beautiful. Michael, how many times have you been there? Again, for Andre, size matters. So, tell us a little about Mogon. They are looking at each other. I am the only <laughs> one at the table who likes Morgon, it seems. <laughs> Morgon is... Uh, has uh, an originality um, in the aromas. It's the only one who has uh, so much kirsch aromas, you know, it's like... Um, no, yeah. oh. kirsch, it's like, um, how do you say that? It's a, a cherry cherry alcohol. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. And, you know, it's... Uh, how do you say noyau? Uh, uh, okay, like the cherry nuts. Oh, cherry And it's pits. really typical in Morgon. So you, you can't find that in other crews in Beaujolais. And for the spices, I think the most spicy cru is Moulin Avant. I think it's the one you can feel the most, the, the spiciness of Gamay, that is really typical too. But Morgon, it's, yeah, it's typical for that because of its soils, again, and the orientation of the slopes and, and so on. But that's really the, the originality of the crew, is the cherry that you can find. So I've got one last question, and it has to do with my podcast partner, Andre. We have twice today had him go through the list of crew, and twice he has forgotten Fleury. So we got to send a little love to Fleury. Why does Andre forget Fleury? Is it not a good crew? It's a wonderful one. It's really a wonderful one. And it's, um, it's the crew that is the most with um, a soil of pink granite. So it's it's and it's the le plus homogène. It's the um, uh, like I said uh, in the cruise, you have different types of soil in the same appellation, and in Fleury, it's quite the same soil. So it's a particularity of this one, and it's pink granite. So it delivers wine really elegant, really fine. And in France, we used to say, and I don't like that those words, but we used to say that is the most feminine one because it's elegant. It's really more on the flower. Um, on the contrary of Mounin more on the spices, Fleury is more on the flowers. But, but so. Fleury also has a little bit more richness and complexity. It's not as 
light as like Bouilly, it's a little bit heavier than Bouilly or Cote de Bouilly? Honestly, it all depends uh, on the producer. On yeah, on the, okay. uh, the producer and uh, the slopes because Fleury can have uh, it has a, a big hill, okay. and if you have the vines here, um, you can have more freshness than in the in the but at the bottom of the hill. So it depends on the the winemaker and it depends on the of the vintage also. And for instance, um, last year in Bruy, last year in Bruy, it was heavier. And with more um, density than the flurry ones, but uh, the poor flurry last year um, has had um, uh, storms, uh, heavy storms. Oh, so they had quite no no wine. So now I understand why Andre always forgets flurry. It's because it's a more feminine wine. And Andre, you're all man. <laughs> so next time we get a chance to speak to you, and I hope that there is a next time. We're going to talk about a real specialty from Beaujolais, so we just got to promise that right now. Because Michael loves Chardonnay. <laughs> so you need to bring a bottle of Beaujolais Blanc so we can talk about one of the real secrets oh! of Beaujolais. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both very much. Thank, Thank you, you too. I still don't know if I can remember all the crews of Beaujolais, but I'm getting pretty close. Uh, yeah, I, I can usually name about four. Four? Yeah. Oh. Michael. Six. Keep going. Seven. Do you want to try doing it right now? Uh, Julianas. Okay. Morgan. Yeah. Uh, Moulin Avant. Uh -huh. The one I always forget. Cherouble. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rigny. Yeah, that's five. And that's where I usually end up stopping. saint Amour. Oh, that's right. And? Uh, you are Googling it. Fleury. Well, I was bringing up the oh, list so Fleury. I could check you. Oh, that's right. Uh, and that's you know what? We just listened to it. We don't need people don't need to hear us screw this up again. All right. So our, our our second interview was one that we really did kind of on the fly because you and I we were set up on uh, the Main Rue, the Rue, the Rue Gastine, and um, we had an, an agent who poured this. And you and I we don't go Gaga for Bordeaux. No, I'm not a Bordeaux Gaga guy. We 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 like Bordeaux when it's affordable and when it's delicious. And I like I spend I spend between sixty and a hundred bucks on one or two bottles. A year, but producers I know, producers that excite me, producers I've visited in the past, but I'm not spending a hundred bucks on something I don't know what I'm getting. What I was shocked about with this producer we're about to talk to is that we tried it, liked the wine, we said we'd like to talk to the people. Yeah. And um, him, the guy and his wife come wandering over to us, and he says to me, I know you. And I'm like, I don't know you, <laughs> which is typical for me. I'm pretty bad with names. But what ended up happening was, I guess when they bought the winery in 2008, yep. they came over and did a little tasting with the, with the people looking for an agent, and I had tasted their wine, and I had reviewed it. And it turns out I was one of the first reviewers to ever review their wine. Well, and the wines were outstanding. And yeah. I know at this moment, because we don't have our notes in front of us, unfortunately, the name of the gentleman escapes us. Oh, Denis. I remember Denis' name. I don't remember his last okay, name. Okay, I'm terrible with names. But and, and they have a Canadian uh, connection, and I... And you know what? Roll the tape. So, Michael, we are sitting here doing an interview that we decided to do because we tasted uh, our guests' wines yesterday on the first day of the Festival de Vin de Saguenay. Well, the first day that the street festival was open, the second day of the festival. And uh, what a pleasure it was to taste these wines because I think you and I both forget from time to time how great the wines are from Bordeaux. And, uh, and we were just um, very excited by these wines. 
Thank you. So immediately on the spot, we said, we need you to come talk to us. That's nice of you. Thank you. And we are talking to Louise Aimé Dufour. That's not bad. Thank you. And uh, Denis Collard from Château d'Anjon de Brugnac. Brugnac. You couldn't say Brugnac? <laughs> well, I, I was looking at the word, how it's, it's B-R-U-I-G-N-A-C. I'm pretty good with English. I could have called it, no, I guess Brugnac would have been my... Exactly, that's would have fine. My, would have been my English sure. translation. Fine. And where in Bordeaux would you be situated? We are about 10 kilometers south of Saint-Emilion, across the Dordogne River, in the Entre-deux-Mers. So we are not in the Saint-Emilion appellation. But you're considered uh, right bank Bordeaux. Yes, we are right bank, absolutely. So it should be no surprise that Michael and I were attracted to your wines because we both love Cabernet Franc. Oh, very good. Oh, excellent. So tell us a little bit about this wine. This is the, um, if I'm not mistaken, we are looking at the 2015 Premium. Right. So tell us a little bit about this wine. And uh, you are the winemaker as well, Denis, are you yes, not? Yes, absolutely. So you are the man to tell us everything about it. So I'm just going to sit back. You have the floor for 10 minutes. Talk about it all you want. Okay, very good. Thank you. Okay, so it is a Chateau Donjon de Brugnac Premium. It is a Bordeaux Superior. In Brugnac, we make two wines. We make a Bordeaux and we make a Premium, the Bordeaux Superior. That's what you are tasting now and the 2015 vintage. So it's uh, mostly Merlot, about 62%, 38% Cabernet Franc. It should be said also that it's a 100% free-run wine. And for the non-technicians, free-run wine means that it is the wine that runs freely out of the vat at the end of the fermentations and we use no press wine to make this premium. Wow. So it's really, it's a gentle way of, of making the wine. Absolutely. Now, I think probably for most people my age who are familiar with Bordeaux, obviously we're familiar with some of the Grand Cru Classé, Premier Grand Cru Classé. For maybe people who are overlooking Bordeaux and Bordeaux Superior, what does Bordeaux Superior mean? What do you have to do to put Superior on your bottle? There is a, the quality standards are different. For example, in terms of uh, density of plantation, we need to have more vines per the square meter. Also, we must produce, we must reduce the number of buds and the number of grapes per vine. We must also control the quantity of wine we make per vine or per area, per hectare, if you want. So lesser quantity, higher quality all through the steps of mostly in the vine itself not so much in the winery the differences are mostly in the way we treat the vine i would have to say i i'm always confused by bordeaux it's one of those regions that is quite confusing i understand the grape varieties but always not the the wines themselves, I find this wine very approachable. 
and I, I'm thinking that it's because of that free run juice. You are absolutely in. right. That's one dimension. It is, uh, and, and I, I'm looking here at some technical notes. 12 months, uh, French oak, obviously. Um, I always like to kid French winemakers and say there's some American oak in here too. No. But <laughs> that will never happen. No. Uh, but I see 30% new, which is, which is not, it's not a lot. Uh, it doesn't, the oak does not interfere in any way in Absolutely. this wine. Absolutely. how long have you been making wine? And, and I guess the follow-up question to that is this technique that you use with the free-run wine and everything, is it something you've learned over that course of time? Or is it just something that you, you know, throw a dart at a board and went, yeah, that's what I'm going to do? Well, when we bought the property, I didn't know very much about winemaking, so we decided to hire the best unologist around. So we went to Michel Roland, and we have been working with the first partner of Michel Roland, the one who started the lab in 1983 with Michel Roland. His name is Christian Véry. And from the start, Christian Véry helped us rebuild the winery and also make our first harvest and our first winemaking. And the decisions which you have about free-run wine as well as, you know, casks which are only 30% new with the other 30% having already done one vintage before and the, the last two vintages, all those decisions were suggested by Christian Véry and based on the results we got, we decided to keep on doing it. So Christian Véry works for the best properties in Saint-Emilion and Pomerol. He very quickly discovered that the kind of terroir we had was very much like a Pomerol and he decided that the style of wine we should make would be very much like a Pomerol. And these are the reasons for which we make those decisions. And hopefully, and that happens very often, you know, when we do some blind tasting, very often people taste and say, well, it tastes like a young Pomerol. And it is for us the best, you know, felicitation we can have. And I think it's interesting, too, because I know Michael was sort of hinting at it. One of the problems with Bordeaux and one of the problems, I think, with younger people drinking wine is that it can take a very long time before a wine reaches its potential and I, I put this in air quotes should be opened tasting this wine which I think costs about $29 in Quebec um, you could take this home open it up right now and enjoy it without absolutely any any problems like absolutely. it's fruit it's very fruit forward but it's got the tannin is so soft yes but still has enough structure that if I wanted to hold this for five to ten years it would evolve exactly very interesting probably probably longer but i like my wines young you you may not you may not need to do it seven to nine years is is good for for lack of a better term i find this wine very sexy <laughs> i don't know why i just i keep going back to it the smell lures me into the glass the taste makes me want to take another I know you're very proud of the fact that your wines are sold to the Toronto Club. Yes. What are the chances that you could get this into the hands of the people at the LCBO? Because it would be amazing to be able to buy this through vintages. We are not interested. 
in Canada, <laughs> in Canada, in Quebec and Ontario, we are in private import only. It has served us very well for the moment. You know, the pressure of marketing and sales by putting our wine in the stores of either SAQ or LCBO, we feel would be too much. We don't produce a lot of wine. We produce about 10,000 bottles of year, a year. We sell about 3,000 of them in Canada, which is the volume we want. We go direct to private people, private individuals, buying it from SAQ or LCBO as private imports. They are very, they are very faithful, keep on buying you know, year after year. We are also in quite a few good restaurants, and we are very happy with that. Okay, now, here's the important, because this was a frustrating thing when I went to Bordeaux. You might break my heart, but that's okay. If I come visit you in Bordeaux, can I buy it from you at the Chateau? Okay, so they both just nodded their heads and said yes. Because sure. a lot of places in Bordeaux, you can't buy from no, the no, Chateau no, because we, the negociant get their hands. No, no, it. absolutely. No, we... We are using none of the people in the networks, you know. We are not going through negociants or traders or anybody like that. So we sell to whomever we want. So you guys are troublemakers then in Bordeaux? No, we are too small and our wine is, you know, is not priced high enough, high enough to make a difference. So going back to the, uh, to the, to the chateau, how many acres or hectares do you have? Okay, the, the chateau by itself is 75 acres, but we have only six acres of vines. The rest of the property is a forest of 300 to 400 year old oak trees. So barrels are coming? No, not we. <laughs> we, we would not be permitted to actually cut those oak trees because they are old and they are classified. You know, oak trees of 300 to 400 years old, you cannot take them down. You have to keep on maintaining them to maintain the forest. So what is the makeup of your vineyard? The vineyard is 60% Merlot and 40% Cabernet Franc. And do you use only your estate fruit? Or do you buy in fruit as well? Oh, no, no, we don't. In Bordeaux, you cannot buy fruit from anybody else if you want to be able to keep the name of your chateau on your wine. As soon as you start buying a fruit from someone else, you must have a different name for the wine. And I, and I, and I guess my last question, so from six acres of fruit, you make how many bottles of wine per year? 10,000 bottles per year. So the premium, how much you make of this? It varies greatly from one year to the next, because every year we select the best uh, grapes and the best lots to make the premium. So for example, in 2012, it was 100% Merlot, and we made only 2,300 bottles. The 2015 you just drank, 62% Merlot, 38% Cabernet Franc, and a total of 7,000 bottles. So the bad part is that wine, we tried to get some, uh, some of it, and we just could never connect with the... Um, agent the agent in i nearly left with a double magnum of that you saw me hum and haw on that because that wine was so Where would you affordable the, the agent was going to sell it to me oh, remember they had they had the magnums and double magnums at the festival well i understand the toronto club is the exclusive place to buy it in toronto so if the toronto club is listening 
maybe you'd want to contact Andre and I, and we'd like to find out if we can get some of that wine. Or just have us come to your club because the wine's so affordable. I'm sure we could afford to buy a bottle or two to enjoy well, at your club. That, that's what I'm getting at. So maybe. All right. So all right. So, so we did a lot of interviews. Oh. Who do we got coming up next? Uh. Okay. So. You know what? I know it was part of Spain, and I know it was part of Rioja. Yeah. Other than that, my memory is out to lunch. But why don't you let this one roll, and we'll find out who it is. Andre, we're here um, at the. Uh, now that I don't have the sign in front of me, I can't do it. Would Festival you do? Festival de Vain de Second Age. Thank you very and much. Apparently, we're providing the. English content portion of the festival. So we are here uh, just um, across from the Jean Coutou, which, yep. is, a, which is a pharmacy. On, so, on Rue Racine, the main street of the town. And uh, we have um, Roberto Alonso from Valdemar family with us. Hello, and hi. that's in Spain. Yes. Yeah. And where in Spain are you located? Well, it's uh, in the Rioja region in the, in the north. Somewhere between Madrid and Bilbao. Okay. But it's a pretty small region farther up in the north. And uh, Valdemar should not come as a surprise to our listeners. A lot are in Ontario, but obviously we, we have um, listeners who are worldwide as well. Um, so Valdemar is not just in Canada, obviously. Where, where else do you ship your wine to? Well, it's a 130-year-old winery that has been exporting the wines since 30 years ago. So right now they are present in more than 60 countries all over the world. That's, I mean, our main markets are in Europe and in North America, but we also have the wines present in, in Asia, in South America, everywhere. So you said about uh, the, the company is about 133 years old. Is that? Did I hear 130. That? Okay. So yes. for 30 years you've been exporting. Yes. What did you do for the first 100 years? Well, that was the first four generations. They were, um, I mean, at the beginning they were farmers. They were, they had different businesses, and they, the different generations progressively specialized in wine. And once the the wine business became you know, more organized in the, in the late 80s. And we started bottling the wine and building a brand. That's when the, the commercial infrastructure to export the wines was built. So it was a progressive, uh, you know, uh, it was an evolution through, through the generations until they finally focused on wine and sipping it uh, abroad. Andre, did you want to get in on this conversation? I think Roberto and I could speak all day. Well, yeah, clearly you're not giving me a word edgewise. Uh, in our glass, we have uh, Conde Valdemar Reserva, 2011, yes. and uh, I know we talk a lot about the wines, but I'm drawn to the wine for this label. It's a really great label. It's got shiny little uh, grape clusters and, and leaves surrounding the winery name and the, uh, and the vintage, and uh, yeah, it just really stands out on the shelf. How much does this wine cost? Well, this is usually released for twenty-one ninety-five, twenty-two, depending on the exchange rate, but roughly twenty dollars. Now you said this wine is coming to uh, to Ontario, which is why you brought it to the table. Uh, it's coming out in in August, you said. Yes. yes. So tell us a little bit about the Reserva. Well, it's a, a Reserva, and that um, coming from Rioja, that means it's a wine that has been carefully aged for a long time in oak barrels and in bottle before being released 
Reserva is a uh, higher quality. Uh, when we talk about wines aging oak, the entry level wine is the Crianza, uh, but the Reserva, which we are tasting now, is a higher uh, quality. It's, more select it's made with more selected grapes and better vintages. This wine is from the 2011, which was a great, great one in, in our region. And this is a wine that was aged uh, 22 months in uh, American and French oak barrels. And afterwards, we have been aging it for five years in the winery before releasing it. So it's a very smooth, silky, nicely aged wine where you should be finding not so much, or you should not be expecting a lot of fruit, but more secondary, tertiary flavors like, uh, you know, spices, uh, chocolate, leather, figs. Uh, yeah, I'm getting races. a lot of the leather and, and smoke and, and vanilla, but the, yeah. the fruit is still really present, but it's more like like plum, uh, sorry, prune. Like it's, it's yeah. starting to dry out a little bit, not plum, geez. So what are, the, what are the grape varieties that, that go into this wine? Well, the main one is Tempranillo, as we would expect from, from Spain and Rioja. Uh, but this uh, blended with a little bit of uh, Graciano, which is another uh, more rare indigenous grape, and a little bit of Garnacha. Graciano is providing a structure and acidity and aging potential, and Garnacha is uh, always giving us very fruity and very aromatic wines. So that's, that's a blend of three different grapes, but uh, again, Tempranillo is the dominant one. And what other, what other wines can we find in Ontario from you guys? Well, we have uh, usually uh, different releases of uh, Crianza, Reserva. We also release uh, our Conde Valdemar Grand Reserva. And we also have another range uh, of a little bit more fruit-driven, more modern-style wines called Inspiracion, Inspiration, Valdemar. And those are also released quite often by the LCBO. So it's uh, four or five wines uh, right now. This year, we, in the spring, we, we have also our rosé, which uh, sold out very, very quickly. Okay. And sometimes we have some releases of whites as well. Now, you're saying, and, and we already talked a bit about how it's already showing some secondary and, and tertiary uh, flavors and characteristics. When you buy a bottle of wine like this, what what is the aging potential for Rioja? I'll be perfectly honest, I don't drink a lot of Rioja. Well, uh, it depends. Uh, depends on the, on the producer and depends on the on the, the quality of the wine and the vintage. Some okay. vintages, uh, like this one, uh, 2011, was clearly better than other vintages, so that wine can be aged longer. And and then you have the Crianza's reservas and Grand Reserva's qualities. Uh, Crianza is supposed to be drunk when it's released. You may age it for another one or two years, but that's not the idea behind the wine. Reserva is a wine that may be aged another four or five years, and Grand Reserva is the long-distance runner. That's the one you may age. If it's from a good producer, a good vintage, it may be aged for another 25, 30 years. We now in four or five years, what's this going to taste like? Is it going to be more dried fruit? Or? Yeah, it's going to be more more complex. It's going to lose a bit more fruit, but it's going to develop flavors and aromas that you can only develop with time, with patience, and with a good wine. Uh, actually, with uh, these uh, reservas and grand reservas, we have sometimes some uh, limited releases of all the vintages going back to the 80s at the LCBO. And people went crazy for them because, uh, I mean, the flavors you get there and the aromas you get there, uh, you never get them from a young wine. But first of all, you need a great wine to, to age. Other, not every wine is going to age that long. What is the oldest wine that you have at the winery? Uh, 1968. And what happened to the first 70 years of wines? Well, wine was not uh, wine was part of the everyday eating and drinking in Spain. It was not, uh, I would say, it's not a luxury thing as it's nowadays. It was part. It, it was not a branded business. People bought the, the wine in bulk, 
and uh, and drank it at home in, in bulk. It was uh, bottled wine was more rare, and and people did not probably appreciate the wine as much as they do today. You know, uh, people now drink less but better. In the past, it was part of the everyday eating and drinking, and and they didn't think so much about uh, leaving the wine behind for the future. Have you have you tried the '68 recently? I tried six months ago. And was good. Was good. Yeah. Was keeping well. All right. As I mean, long as it's still alive. That's, that's a style of wine which is not for everybody. Not everybody is going to uh, enjoy that wine. But uh, if you love wine, those are wines that you enjoy more smelling than drinking. You know, okay. because, <laughs> because they are, you know, they are beautiful and they are wines that have been sleeping in the bottle for 25, 30, 35 years. And when they open, it's like uh, when you wake up after a long sleep. And they change every 10 minutes. Yeah, you'd be you'd so, be a little grumpy too if you were locked in a bottle for 35 years. Yeah. It sounds like we're gonna have to go to Spain to, uh, but not, to, not, to taste some of these old wines. Oh yeah. But on the other hand, not, not every wine, not every vintage is going to age well for 30, 35 years. Uh, we we have, for example, it's probably, the, in my opinion, the best vintage we produce at Bodegas Valdemar, the 1985, and and the 1985 is is drinking better than the 88 because 85 was a better vintage. So. I mean, we only keep uh, or we only leave behind wines from better vintages, which we know they are going to last longer. Now, did we ask how big your your winery is? Like, how many uh, acres or hectares that you? I mean, we are a mid-sized player in in Rioja. In Rioja, they are much bigger, but also much smaller wineries than ours. And and but the the biggest or the most important point of difference with the rest is we own almost 700 acres of vineyards, and all our production comes from. Our own grapes. So you don't buy anything in. Everything is your no, own. I mean, we, we may buy five, seven percent of, of the grapes, but only they're from local growers producing top quality. Otherwise, we don't need to. But, and that's not always the case in Rioja. There are some wineries which uh, sell a lot of wine, but they don't. They don't own vineyards. They buy grapes or wine from other people. There are wineries which have vineyards for 50 percent of their production, and there are a few wineries like ours which uh, actually could. Uh, produce all the wines from their own grapes. So we've been sitting here uh, for, let's say, 12 minutes, and um, I can I can actually, now the wine has opened up a little bit more. Oh, I see you're done, yours, yep. Andre. But the wine has opened up even more in that in that 12 minutes, which is quite interesting. And we have that nice wind blowing through, so it's also getting into the glass, as people can hear, the wind. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a lovely wine. Thank you. Roberto, we hope that you uh, have good success with it at the LCBO. I'm sure you do. I'm sure all your wines sell out because the LCBO doesn't bring things that don't sell. So That's right. And you've been there before. Yep. Thank you. So. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about my wines. Thank you very Thank much. You. Okay, Appreciate Thank it. You. Bye. you know, I really don't mind that we sat on these interviews for so long, and I know our throws to these interviews are kind of bull****, and uh, there's my contribution to the swear jar. If people haven't noticed, I've started bleeping the swears in here because you and I have gotten into it a little well, bit too we did. much. Yeah, we've got, done that. But, uh, it's, you know, it was it was interesting and sad that it's been so long that we forget half the people we've talked but to. But the good news is, though, like for you and me to reminisce on, on this right as we're getting into the beginning of the real crap weather, it is one of my highlights from the summer was that, that visit to Saginaw, even though it was for a couple of days. And I'm really looking forward to next year, the... Uh, the local distillers mm -hmm. are in force. We got a bottle of gin in our in our welcome package yep. that was just outstanding. Um, the craft beer scene yep. in, in Quebec is good. So 
I mean, there's just a lot of reasons to go there. And we did some cheese this year, if yep. I'm not mistaken. So, yep, that um, was Quebec great. Quebec cheese is... is Second to none. Second you, to none in the you country. You were rubbing it on your body. I couldn't believe it. Well, I mean, it's the thing. Like, uh, there, there are some great artisanal cheese producers in Ontario. I wish there were more of them. And shout out to uh, Glenn at Light Hall for what he's doing with cheese there. Yeah, but very true. We, um, we need... We need more of those like interesting, really kind of French influenced styles of, of cheese in Ontario, oh, I think. Fromage. Fromage. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, be ready. We have a few more interviews from Saginay. Uh, we'll probably get to them a little quicker than we did here, but we just needed to talk about the festival so much because we loved our time there so it's, much. It's such a great time. Uh, I'd, I'd go over here. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, you know what? Let's keep people posted and we'll see about maybe putting that bus together or doing yeah, something, bring a contingency a from Ontario. Yeah. See what we can do. I want to hear more English on the street. No, no. The French is good. We all need to practice. Yeah, you don't. Please don't. Anyways, I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca. I'm Michael Pingus of MichaelPingusWineReview.com. Bunry! Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.